0: Hello, Texans, and welcome into NRG Stadium. Mark Vandermeer with you Thursday night. That means the general is with us. He's back. We had last week off with John McClain from the Houston Chronicle, but he's in the house as we'll talk OTAs and also... The general, since it's sort of throwback Thursday, we'll reflect on Bart Starr a little bit later. And I've got some quarterback questions for him. And stuff around the league, including 18-game schedule popping up again as a possibility, I don't know. But we'll discuss it. All right, John, let's go with OTAs this week. Week two of these practice sessions, your biggest takeaway from the session you saw this week.
1: I'm watching guys that they need somebody to step up at their position, not just the offensive tackles. Deontay Foreman, I'm kind of captivated by him because he's in shape for the first time since, well, since when. I didn't think he's in all that great He didn't look all that good when he was last year at Texas, even though he played great.
0: He says he feels better than when he was at Texas.
1: And he looks better, and it's, he's, he made a commitment. You know, Bill O'Brien had that exit interview with him, and I bet that was a one-sided conversation. And he war- started working; people didn't believe it. And he posted his workout videos on Instagram, and people like, "Okay, these must have been photoshopped because he's looking real good." And then when he showed up April fifteenth, obviously he looked good enough and showed them enough; they didn't draft a back. Mm-hmm. I thought, sure, the Texans were going to draft a running back in the fifth, sixth, or seventh round. And they didn't, and because they have confidence in Foreman, can't wait to see him get on the field. And uh, the other receivers, like Vincent Smith, Jester Weah, Johnny Dixon, have been walk- watching from the get-go because they need another receiver. And I thought Vincent Smith looked real good on the Wednesday OTA where we were able to watch. Mm-hmm. Kiki QT, I'm not – QT's ability is not in question. His is only can he stay healthy, and he's healthy right now, and he's really good. I remember this time last year, Mark, they were telling me, boy, this kid from Tech, he's going to be special. And he would have been, except he got hurt with that hamstring off and on. So he looks real good. And I wrote a column this week about how great this offense could be if the line is a little bit better, which I know we believe it will be, if Miller and Foreman stay relatively healthy and the three receivers. That yeah. passing game can be prolific. I think it be could be one of the three best in the league if those guys stay healthy. That's a lot of ifs, but the fact is they don't need anybody right now. They've got linemen. They've got tackles. They've got the receivers. They've got at least two running backs. Somewhere in there there will be a third one, but this offense could be great. Do you agree?
0: Uh, Well, I I agree it could be, and I think another big aid is, I've mentioned this before, Watson going from zero reps with the first team in OTAs the last two years to all of them, as far as 11-on-11 goes. I know that he was doing some 7-on-7 last year, but to see him in 11-on-11 work where they can do situational stuff and simulate blitzes against him and everything else, for him to get all these repetitions against those guys with the first team, that is monumental for this team. I, I really think... You cannot overstate how good it's going to be for him to have these 4 weeks of that kind of practice before he gets to the desert and then training camp.
1: But see, I don't I don't even pay attention to that stuff cuz I know he's going to be great and he's going to take the next step in his second full season as a starter. The thing that stood out with me yesterday at Watson is his accuracy throwing corner routes just inside the pylon. Every one of them was perfect. Now, he's in shorts, and course, and a T-shirt or and red shirt, and nobody's after him, but he just throws such a pretty ball. And I'm talking about just yesterday, but I'm going to throw this name out there of somebody that the listeners will know. Watching him throw the ball yesterday reminded me of Warren Moon in his practices because coaches used to say Moon throws such a perfect pass. He's very accurate. And that's the way Watson threw yesterday, and it reminded me of Moon.
0: Yeah, it's funny because John Harris brought up Warren Moon yesterday, knowing that there are different types of quarterbacks, and the ball is different, but it's pretty. Both quarterbacks throw a pretty ball, maybe in a different way. And I just find it interesting that Harris, 24 hours ago, brought up the same name, and you guys haven't even talked.
1: Well, I used to watch Warren every day because back then we watched all practices, every minute, all year round, and... Because everybody talked about that ball being thrown so perfectly, the spin, the way it came out of his hands, and where he placed it. They used to have drills where they would put trash cans just inside the pylon and put them at like the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. Mm-hmm. Made up competition, of course. Not just the players, but the coaches and Moon. There was nobody that could come close to Moon. That included backup quarterbacks. And just because he was so accurate. And the ball was perfect. One time I asked their general manager, Mike Holovac, I said, why don't, when Steve McNair was a rookie in 95, and they had Chris Chandler, Chris Dean, and he didn't help McNair at all as the starter. And then next year, I think that's when Warren retired, and I said, why don't you get Moon to come in here at the end of his career and have him out there helping McNair. They're buddies. He advises them. He said, because... In practice Warren would so throw such a pretty pass, everybody'd wonder why is he not playing? Mm. Because McNair, that wasn't what he that wasn't his specialty, throwing a pretty ball. But uh and I thought at the time, wow, never thought of something like that.
0: Yeah, because he could still throw a pretty ball in practice, but you wouldn't want to see him in a game at that stage of his life, right?
1: Uh well I that, that wasn't what he said, but and I didn't think not to have him play, but to come in here and work with McNair. Yeah. And uh, But I thought that was a very interesting reason not to pursue it.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So uh, I love, I love having A.J. McCarron as a backup. I think that's great. Joe Webb does everything. Boy, he never gets a break in practice. He told us that in an interview recently, and I saw it yesterday. I mean, he's going from one station to the other. What a valuable asset he is. But let me go here. As far as guys who catch passes and impossible not to notice Jordan Thomas in year two, and Aikens as well, but I really am intrigued by Thomas. We talked about him a bit yesterday, but, John, there was one play where Gibson's all over him, and if the ball's placed perfectly high and away, Thomas is going to catch it, and it's going to be a very tough cover. I love seeing what he can do going into year two. Aikens as well.
1: I don't think that any of his four touchdowns was not a real good catch. I don't think any of them were perfect passes. I think he had to reach, bend, had people on him, and that's something that impressed me last year for a rookie making that and It looks to me mark looking at his body it's it's been rearranged. you can tell he's working hard he doesn't uh you know he's six five and a half he was two seventy seven last year I'd be interested to see what he is now, but I need he, my body rearranged he, well, you worked as hard as those guys do. Somebody mm. paid me that kind of money and wanted me to do it, I'd say rearrange me, but he just looks great. He looks like a big-time tight end. So does Kahali Waring. Waring looks looks like a big-time tight end. Jordan Akins looks more like an H-back, but I think tight end's going to be a really productive with those two guys going into their second season, with Waring stepping in with all kinds of potential that that position over the next two or three years is going to be really good. And if they kept – can you imagine if they keep Fuller and QT healthy and these tight one of these tight ends or both emerges? That off, that's another reason I think this offense can be great.
0: John, you and I had the four tight ends debate a few weeks ago. I still think there's a chance, and I know it's way early, but I'll be monitoring that one. I, I think there's a chance they keep four tight ends. No, I don't.
1: I think they'd have to cut back at another position. If you got three good ones – Why keep a fourth one? Darren Fells will be the odd man out. Are you going to cut back on an offensive lineman? You Mm. can't cut back on a receiver with Fuller, his injury history, and then QT QT missing so many games last year. And those running backs are like Buddy Howell. He was on his team for one reason last year because he is a really good special teams player. Now. What if you took a guy, okay, special teams are so much better. They did a lot of things in the offseason with the island special teams. Johnson Batamosi is a luxury. He is a cornerback who doesn't play cornerback. He's there because of special teams. Do you cut back a guy like that? Except I think if they do, they're going to they have plenty of guys to take his place who can actually get on the field. So I just If they don't, play special
0: teams as well yeah. as he does cuz those guys might not make it onto the field, but they've got to play special teams, so you better make sure you're upgrading there, and I think it's going to be tough because he's good.
1: Well, I don't think they'd have to upgrade. It's got to come close to him because with him, you don't have a guy. When they had injuries last year, my God, they're playing. Sharice Wright, and the guy came from the Rams, got hurt every time he stepped on the field. I can't remember his name. What was Kenyon? Kayvon Webster. Kayvon Webster, and they were desperate. That's why you got to have DBs who can play, but – if you know if Fells plays show is great then he's going to force his way on the team. You are not going to be able to trade him for anything as he's 32 years old. But he 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 looks he and Jordan Thomas look alike. He's 6'7" and 270 and Thomas 6'5 and a half 277 and I was watching them stand next to each other and if you didn't have numbers it'd be difficult to tell who was whom.
0: How about Galaspia? Because he's a seventh-round draft choice. You know he's going to play special teams. Can he do some H-back stuff for you? He doesn't look like your prototypical blocking fullback, and they didn't have one last year. And even when they did have one the year before, years before with Prosh, it wasn't like he was in there on every down. He was in there for the minority of the downs, really.
1: I noticed on the pronunciation guide that you're looking at there that you got it's Gillespie, even though it's spelled Gillespie. Well, just, I haven't gotten there yet. Just I, like wearing, and, you know, makes no sense based on wearing, but it's wearing. And uh, and one thing I noticed on there too, I didn't look at it closely last year. Been call him Senio Calamante. It's not Senio. It's Senil.
0: Yeah, I knew that.
1: Even though it's says got that right last year. And one of these years. The people around here will pronounce Chantrell right. They call him a lot of different things than Chantrell. And to me, that's not real hard.
0: Well, you can never listen to a coach or a general manager. I know, you're right, you're right. Those guys, they just get attached to a pronunciation. I've, I learned that a long time ago in this business. You know, you cannot trust a coach or a GM with a player pronunciation. Okay, it's
1: not Kaimi Fairbairn hard, but... But Kahali oh. Waring has so many names.
0: Yeah, I know. He's um, He's got a long first name, and I'm not going to go there yet. Oh, he I does? Rehearsed. Longer
1: than Kalani? No,
0: no, no. It's not. Uh, Kahali. No, no. It's not Kaimi. Mue yeah. Like a Kumupa Okay. I actually left a few syllables out just for, you know, we only have so much Well, nobody's going to know
1: if you pronounce that right or not. I bet you Fairbairn doesn't even know.
0: No, he does. He does. He does. Well, actually, I've said it to him the same way twice, and one time he's like, that's dead on. Another time he's like, I don't know.
1: That's close enough. Yeah. One time there was an Oilers linebacker, a second-round pick, and we were interviewing him after the first day of camp, and somebody said, you got kids? Yeah, I have a daughter. He said, oh, what's her name? He said, Rosalyn. How do you spell it? He goes, "Uh," oh, boy. And one of the writers goes, R-O-S-L-Y-N. He goes, yeah, that's close enough.
0: Oh, jeez you got to be careful here. That's like the uh, Cromarty. how many kids do you have? And he had about four three-year-olds within a month of each other. There was something like that. In fact, that's a related topic later on. We're going to talk about hard knots Do you and think
1: Fairbairn can pronounce his first name? Yes, he can because he
0: did it for me in a recorder a few years oh, ago. Oh, that's how you learned that's it? That's how I learned it, and I latched onto it and never let it go.
1: So C- Kahali is a longer Kahali, version of Kahali?
0: Yeah, yeah, it goes on with about five or six more syllables. And
1: then he's got about five or six more names. <laughs> yes, he
0: does. But they're easy to mm-hmm. I can Just like uh, Kaimi them. has John Christian in the middle, too. Uh, but I'm not going to go there. I'm always
1: fascinated, fascinated by that, and I'm fascinated by wearing to see the guy on the field. He was talking about All those sports he played and how that made him better Mm -hmm. for football. And uh, I asked him about being a goalkeeper on uh, water polo. He said hand-eye coordination. Right. And he said basketball translates the best. Jim Harbaugh used to always want his quarterbacks to play basketball. I don't know why Oliver Luck told me that, because when Harbaugh had gotten a commitment from Andrew Luck, he came here to watch him play basketball. And I guess it's feet Hands, maybe passing the ball. Seeing it, seeing the floor. And so I could could see how, especially if you're a receiver, playing basketball would help. DeAndre Hopkins has talked a lot about the way when he, and he was a great basketball player, how much playing basketball has helped him catch the ball. Yeah.
0: I want to see video of Darren Fells playing basketball since he played for several overseas I'm guessing
1: that he was probably about, he wasn't 270. I'm guessing he's put on weight for play tight end compared he said it was, to what he did moving up and down the court.
0: He said it was a nice life. You make a few bucks. Not NBA dollars, of course, but it's a nice little living when you're a young man playing professional basketball. The general stays with us, and let's talk about Bart Starr and how it relates to today. We mentioned this a little bit earlier in the week about his passer rating for the postseason, the greatest number of all time. but. Other aspects of that as it relates to today's NFL, the general weighs in on that and a whole lot more on Texans Radio. Texans Radio in the Hyundai Texans Radio studio. Mark Vandermeer and John McLean with you as we'll talk about hard knocks in the next segment a little bit. Maybe an 18 game schedule. That's popped up on the radar again. I don't know if that'll ever pass, but let's do this. Bart Starr passed, John, over the weekend. And I know he's a big hero of so many. know, John Harris told a big Bart Starr story because he grew up in Wisconsin. And I mentioned it earlier in the week. The most amazing thing to me was the fact that he still holds the all-time passer rating number for playoff games. He was 9-1, and one, and that TD to interception ratio was great. Completion percentage. The yards per attempt were actually very good, well over 8.
1: He was not good at Alabama. He was not good at Green Bay. 56, what was his 17th round draft choice? Yes. 57-58. He was a backup. They didn't think he doesn't have a good enough arm. He's smart. And he's accurate but he just he's not he's just kind of frail. Then Vince Lombardi came in and started watching him and decided to give him a shot and the rest is history. And he was he was incredibly accurate. He now he benefited two Hall of Fame running backs. Yeah. He had one I mean Hall Two two Hall of Famer offensive linemen, another one it could have been. And so he had a lot of talent around him. But he was accurate. He was smart. He was um, – you couldn't fl- – he never got flustered. And back then, you could cheap shot him. You could hit him yep. in the head, hit him in the knees. Anything you wanted to do. You could head slap the quarterback. Yep. One of the things that I grew up liking football when I was a kid on Thanksgiving, my dad and granddad, we always watched the Lions, and they played Tiger Stadium in the mud. Mm. And my dad used to say, the mud, the blood, and the beer – that's the way football's meant to be, and the Lions were good then, and they were dirty, and they and the Bears were too, and they just abused Star when they could get to him, and he never acted like he gave it a second thought. I mean, that's why they call it
0: the Black and Blue Division because and, of those days. And they
1: were, and he was just so good, and and such a great guy. Uh, a couple of times when Greg Cook worked at six ten, Greg had played for him. Played, Greg played nine years with the Packers in their Hall of Fame, and he might have played every year for Starr. I can't remember, but if he wanted Bart to come on the show, he just picked up the phone call, Star came on, and one time Greg and I were on by ourselves, and I asked Bart during a commercial if I could ask him a Hall of Fame question. He said, sure. So when he came back, I I thought he would, the answer would be Jerry Kramer. And I said, Who, what Packer who's not in the Hall of Fame is the most deserving? Because we're just getting so many irate emails from Packer fans about Jerry Kramer not sure. being in there. Well, and he
0: would be at the Super Bowl every year doing those radio. Oh, yeah. interviews.
1: He was more famous for not being in, and now that yeah. we put him in, people are not gonna he's not gonna get that publicity. Th- that's anymore. the thing. That's so the thing. I asked him, I said, Do you have one? He says, I sure do, and I said, Who would that be if you don't mind me asking? No, I don't mind, and I thought he was gonna say Jerry Kramer, and he said, Bob Skoronsky and i looked at greg greg looked at me and i knew he played tackle opposite for us. greg yeah it turned out i checked on it that was his good buddy oh and then uh and i guess he said that one too many times and jerry kramer got his feelings hurt so oh, then geez. he had to kind of change it change his tune and uh he he battled back from two strokes and a heart attack in 2014. When, when Brett Favre went in the Hall of Fame up there, and they brought out Bart in a golf cart, and Brett went over to him as one of the most emotional things I've ever oh, seen. There's incredible. never been a classier guy than Bart Starr. At one point early in their relationship with Lombardi, Lombardi would fall in love with Sonny Jurgensen because Sonny just opposite of star Swash Buckler defied authority, but, boy, he was a winner, but not a winner like Star. Five uh, championships.
0: John, I don't mean to uh, hearken back too much here and to date anybody in the room, but I'm not going to date myself, but I'll date you. So when the AFL was playing opposite the NFL, what was that like on a Sunday? AFL football on and NFL football. On. It had to be weird. It, and- was,
1: it was the NFL when I was a kid in 1960 and – when the Cowboys and Oilers came to fruition, and the AFL had an NBC contract, and they were more fun because they threw the ball all over yeah. the place. In the NFL, I was became a Cowboys fan, but they were the Cowboys were, were screwed on the, as an expansion team. Didn't even let them draft till the second year, and gave them the drag. <laughs> And so they had, they didn't win a game. They had one tie where the Oilers are throwing ball. George Blandis throwing at Charlie Hennigan and Bill Grohman and Charlie Tolar and Billy Cannon. They got these guys that are scoring touchdowns, and they were exciting, and they won a championship. Yep. The Cowboys were the worst. And so uh, I, w- I would watch both. Mm-hmm. And back then I don't think they had a rule that they couldn't come on. The, they, came, they came on opposite each other if that's when they were schedule and then when the Cowboys started winning four years later then of course everybody fell in love with them because then the Oilers fell off the cliff but it was fun watch AFL had a lot of stars they one of the things AFL didn't do they recruited all the black colleges you know they they had they they hired Tom Williams assistant general manager Tom I think was a track coach at Grambling and Tom came here and he knew all those coaches And the Oilers, the Raiders, the Chiefs, they started signing all those players from predominantly black colleges. Now a lot of them are in the Hall of Fame. The NFL didn't do that for a long time.
0: All right, so Starr is the all-time player passer rating record holder. What was it like to watch a guy like Namath on a weekly basis or semi-weekly basis? Namath
1: threw more interceptions and touchdowns. And and you talk about getting cheap shotted. If he if those guys played under today's rules, no telling how long they would have played. Name it threw the ball down the field. You know, they didn't play they played a lot of man coverage and he threw to uh Don Maynard, Texan, right. George Sauer, another Texan, and uh he threw the ball deep. He didn't dump it off a lot. And he unfortunately got hurt a lot. Right. And of course Super Bowl three made him Um, I don't know if I've told you this, but uh, before the 65 season, I believe that was it, the AFL owners had a secret meeting, and they each wrote down the name of a star who was going into his senior year at college, and they drew him out of a hat, and whoever you drew, you were supposed to sign that guy. Bud Adams drew Joe Namath, and he called Namath a couple times in Tuscaloosa, and Namath politely told him, I'm not, in, I want, not interested in Houston. I don't want to play in the bright lights of New York, Chicago, or Los Angeles. And Bud said, I'll give you more money than you ever dreamed of. Thank you, sir, but I'd rather – I want to do that. So they didn't have a team in Chicago. L.A. had moved to San Diego. And New York was the worst franchise in football, either league. And that was the New York Titans. So Bud called the league office and said, this kid, you know, everybody says he's going to be great, but he's not interested in coming to Houston if we want him – I'm mean, going to have to give the rights to the, to the Titans. And turned out, I believe, that's when Broadway producer Sonny Werblin had a group to buy the tournament to the Jets, and he was all about promotion. And so Bud gave the rights to Joe Namath for Jerry Rome. Mm. And uh, I've talked to Jerry about this. Bud told me a story years ago, and Lamar Hunt had confirmed it. That uh, So really, Bud Adams kind of saved the AFL. And the rest was history. And uh, Werblin gave name at the biggest contract. I don't know if it was all sports or just in football. I remember people were just blown away by that contract.
0: Since we're in the throwback machine, do you have any recollection of watching the Dallas Texans on television who later became the Kansas City Chiefs?
1: No, I do not. Um, And that's not true. The third year when they played the Oilers for the championship, it was double overtime. Tony Tommy Booker kicked the winning field goal. So that's what I remember about them. Then uh, Lamar Hunt, his family, of course, was in Dallas. He moved him to Kansas City, which was a great move by him, an untapped market. Do you know that George Hallis brought Lamar Hunt and Bud Adams? And they they announced AFL in Bud's office here. And uh, he offered them expansion franchises in Dallas and Minneapolis if they would have dropped the idea of a new league, which would cause a financial bloodbath. So Bud could have owned it. the Cowboys? Well, I don't think Lamar would have agreed to that since he lived in Dallas. Yeah. But Bud could own the Vikings. And so they were going to do it, but they Lamar won it in writing, and Alice said he hadn't told anybody about it. But my words, my bond. And, you know, here's a 26-year-old and a 34-year-old telling a guy that founded the National Football League well, sir, I know your words are as good as gold, but we still need it in writing. And he kicked them out of their, out of his office in Chicago, telling them it was going to be a mistake. And the league would never survive, and all of them would go out of business because they couldn't withstand the a war. And, uh, and I often thought, what if Bud had owned the Minnesota Vikings?
0: And what would have been here eventually? Eventually, this city gets a team. It's a huge market.
1: All right, the general stays with us. I have
0: one more quarterback to ask him about we got to ask him about Hard Knocks as well because they're having trouble finding a team that wants to be on the program. And what about this 18-game schedule stuff? It is Texans Radio. We're hanging out with John McClain on a Thursday. Appreciate you being along for the ride with us here on Texans All Access. And we've been talking about a bunch of stuff tonight. OTA Review, a little bit on quarterbacks from yesteryear because of the passing of Bart Starr. Big topic this week. And uh, we'll get to some of the other around the league stuff in just a moment here. But, John, one more quarterback I wanted to ask you about that you watched live that I've always been curious about. We've all seen the highlights, but seeing Johnny Unitas on a regular basis because that's a name that lives so eternally as one of the great all-time signal callers. What was that like?
1: When I was a kid, I I had a Baltimore Colts uniform my parents gave me, and I wore it. And I made my little brother go out and be Raymond Berry in the backyard. (laughs) And I wanted to be Johnny Unitas. And in 1983, their last year in Baltimore, the Oilers played there. And I was on the sideline at the end of the game. And he's standing there. And I went and stood behind him. And I'm like, God, you're so short. You're supposed to be 10 feet tall. And I wanted to say something to him about how how much I admired him, and I'm thinking, you know, he's heard that a thousand times. And I'm trying to think, how can I approach Johnny Unitas and tell him I used to play like I was him in the backyard, and I couldn't do it. And then the game ended, because, you know, we went down with two minutes left, and he started walking off, and I walked with him, and he was bow-legged by then, he had, mm-hmm. but he was probably six feet tall, he was not wearing high tops, and... <laughs> I still think of all the – and I didn't cover him. I watched him, though, that he and Montana and Brady and Peyton and Elway are the greatest quarterbacks I've ever seen. And and he was such an accurate passer. We're being asked by the AP, a bunch of us, to vote on, like, greatest play, greatest game and all that. For the 100th year? Yeah, and I'm, I'm uh, the – I put number one. The Alan Amici overtime touchdown, the Colts beat the Giants because it put the NFL on the map. It was the first yeah. overtime game. And uh, I'm going to put that as game. And there have been so many great ones, of course. And and Unitas was just, he was a pocket drop back passer. Quarterbacks didn't run until Fran Tarkenton came in and set everybody on their ear. They couldn't believe a quarterback. Is he the most
0: forgotten all time great? And he's
1: in the Hall of Fame. And one reason he's just disappeared. Yeah, you know, he goes from TV, and he's a businessman in Atlanta. I've only seen back in Canton one time, uh-huh. and he just disappeared. And and uh,
0: well, more seasoned people will remember that's incredible. The TV show that he was—he
1: he, did—he—he he was such a big personality, but he didn't get the respect that he deserved as a passer because they call him a scrambler. And today he would be conservative based on what we see. Yep. But I thought Unitas was just spectacular to watch, just a machine.
0: Uh, great stuff from the general on him. All right, a, f- a few things here. Having trouble finding a team to do hard knocks.
1: Should be the Raiders, without a doubt. And the Raiders, you get to see so many head cases. Vontaze Perfect, uh Antonio Brown. Yeah. Now the biggest in NFL history, I believe, Richie Incognito the the Raiders and the the Raiders should be ashamed giving this guy another chance and but still I'd watch to see how crazy he is and he is crazy he's admitted it and to me everybody else is boring and everybody else is in second place to the Raiders and somebody said well wait till they get to Vegas well they're not going to have training camp in Vegas next year. They, they don't have a facility that's going to be ready next year. Mm. So they may end up having to train in, uh, in Oakland where they are now and then going back and forth. But uh, they've never trained away from the West Coast, I don't think. So just because the team's going to be playing in Vegas in August, they're not going to be there, I don't think. So give us the Raiders now. Don't wait till Incognito and perfect and some of those other head cases are gone. Do
0: it this year. They do have a lot of interesting personalities, no doubt. But uh, there was a whole article by Florio on how teams just don't want it, which is hardly breaking news. It's such an intrusion into your building.
1: The the Texans went to the playoffs, the Browns. Right. it around but there's... they don't enjoy having it now bill
0: o'brien said the guys couldn't have been any better from hard knocks ken rogers i was always company.
1: worried about it and i thought those guys did a tremendous job
0: they did i just think it's odd when you work somewhere and somebody has a camera in your office and it's miked up i think that has to be really tough to live with even if it's only for four or five weeks or whatever the total count is it's got to be brutal if there's
1: a god hmm? bill <laughs> belichick will have a camera in his office for hard knocks
0: well he allows it from time to time but not for that whole thing not and, like that you know florio's point is that with all the social media by the team a lot of the clubs do their own work it's not exactly hard knocks but we put out stuff that takes you inside a little bit and some more than others with all that out there do you really need hard knocks anymore i think it's still a very watch every
1: episode of every show i like it it's well done I do too. i'm fascinated because it Shows me things I can't see otherwise, including yep. on your website. You know, y'all give y'all give um from a vantage point that the media can't do, but still hard knocks because those cameras are in there all the time. And sometime like last year when that first episode when you knew when um Corey Coleman, the receiver, walks into Hugh Campbell and wants to know why he's not running with the first team and he says check with Todd meaning Todd Haley. In other words, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You knew that was going to be different. Yeah. And I thought the Browns were fascinating. I wish they could force them to do another year because of all the changes they've made. Ooh. But I tell you what, if the Raiders are in there, I can't wait to see it because Gruden's going to be a great personality. I'm embarrassed for Mayock saying that, well, they can't have all Boy Scouts. I thought that was a cop-out on Incognito, and I thought Mike was going to – I don't know, not go off the deep end with some of these signings when you're so desperate to win. But to have Burfecht
0: and Incognito, I know they're different. And Burfecht
1: with Antonio Brown, who he cheap shot. It cost him a playoff win.
0: I just think there's a lot of – there are a lot of – things that can go wrong yes. for the Oakland Raiders. And that's perfect for TV.
1: Mm-hmm. You know HBO wants them.
0: Yeah, yeah, a lot of potential there. I don't
1: think the NFL, based on if you sign Richie Incognito and Vontez Burfect, you shouldn't have the right to say no. Mm-hmm. To me, you give up your privileges.
0: What was your thought when uh, Jason Witten went back to the Dallas Cowboys?
1: I thought Jerry Jones rescued him from being fired, although ESPN swears that he was coming back.
0: Is he a lock to make the team, John?
1: Uh, I think that y- yes. If he's not, he'll retire. Now, maybe this whole thing is a setup for him to retire again on his, it, his volition, yeah, his decision. kind
0: of his terms and air quotes. Because the
1: way they're talking about, well, he'll play 25 plays a game, but what if he plays real well? And they do need a tight end, but it's it kind of wreaked desperation for an offense that didn't need it and – why is it so hard for them to find a tight end? There were yeah. guys out there in free agency. They they couldn't draft one of the two top guys because they didn't have a first round pick. But uh, I think it's going to be fun. Now the media loves Witten. He's a great sure. guy, great talker. Well, that's they why they thought wait he'd be, for him to come back.
0: That, that's why a lot of people thought he'd be good in the booth Monday Night Football.
1: Coming back delays his uh, eligibility for the Hall of Fame for right. another five. Months. And he's
0: a lock, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, look at the. Look at where he is on the all-time receptions list and
1: look at what he did. Okay, the let title. me ask you something. Yes or no, nothing else. Rob Gronkowski, first ballot? Yes. Yes, I say so too, but there's some people trying to say, oh, no, well, he didn't play long enough. I don't need him to play anymore. It's, it's I Gale him. Sayers, Terrell Davis. I watched Mike Ditka. I watched John Mackey. Yeah. I have watched some of the greatest tight ends, Tony Gonzalez, and Gronkowski as, as a receiver, blocker, Lining up inside, outside, I think he's the greatest in history.
0: You know, he had trouble staying healthy. There's no doubt about that. And it costs them sometimes in the postseason not having him around. There's no question. But look at what he did do. Just look at what he did do, never mind what he didn't do. And he's certainly a Hall of Famer first ballot. I have, I have no question about that. Uh, back to Witten and Monday Night Football, though, for a moment. Peyton Manning talked about the fact that he did have conversations with them, but he's not going to do it, clearly. That's too bad. I'd love to see him in that booth. I think tremendous. everybody would.
1: That thing he does on ESPN Plus every week during the season is tremendous. Mm-hmm. thing he's doing for the 100-year celebration, it's, it's a shame. It's only on ESPN Plus. Maybe they'll put it out later because he's magnificent at that. They said they offered him $10 million a year to do one night a week. Gruden was making seven. He said no. They might have even said, okay, here's a blank check. What do you want?
0: It was probably just not a non-starter for him anyway. And it's not just one night a week, as you know, because for a Monday night game, they're getting there usually around Saturday.
1: And knowing how he works, he would have made a year-long proposition. Yeah. Well, a week-long proposition. He's living in Denver. His kids are in good schools, and his wife loves it, and he still does a lot of things. You know, he's got commercials and everything else. He said today the Jets, despite all those reports that the Jets were trying to get him, he said he never heard from the Jets. Would you want him to run a team if you had one? That's what he wants to do. He's mm-hmm. told me twice that's what he wants to do. Like when Chris Ballard was with the Chiefs, number two, he turned down two or three offers. Mm-hmm. He wanted to go to a situation where he would have total control and a quarterback. So he goes to Indy and he's done a pretty good job. And I think Peyton, Peyton will have to have a really good, experienced person with him. Yeah, and, but Elway needed that. Right. You know, and so I think, yes, I would love to have Peyton. But thing I don't know from – I don't know how tough he would be on people. He might be really tough if he didn't see them have his work ethic, which may be non, non-Parel work ethic. And, uh, but he's it's just not right. And I can't imagine he would have gone to the Jets. That's not an ideal situation if indeed they had wanted him. Well,
0: if you loved Darnold, it might have helped a little bit anyway.
1: Yeah, but there's just too, there's, there's a story by in the New York Daily News about behind the scenes, about how they were trying to hire Cliff Kingsbury in a meeting weeks before uh, Todd Bowles was oh, yeah. fired. And that's that's not right. That the owner, Christopher Johnson, while his brother's in the United Kingdom as an ambassador, Woody, that he's just making a mockery out of it. Well, how about Kingsbury, though? I mean, trying to hire talking – talking to his agent about hiring him right after he'd been fired by Tech.
0: Right after he'd been fired by Tech, and that word must have gone – so he was a hot property prospect in the NFL before even taking the USC offensive coordinator job. You surprised they didn't wait? I mean, I know he eventually got the job with the Cardinals anyway. But he made that deal with USC probably thinking, well, what if something comes up? Can well, if, get he'd had, if he
1: had anybody seriously interested in him, he would never would have taken that. And there was a lot of talk. Teams were interested in him as offensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator, yeah. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Jets were. According to Manish Meta in the Daily News, his agent Eric Burkhardt as well as Mike McCagnan, Brian Heimerdinger. Uh-huh. McCagnon's right-hand man. Christopher Johnson. They were in the meeting trying to hire Kingsbury, who was not there. So they're so dysfunctional right now, it's too bad because McCagney made some good moves the last two years in personnel, and Adam Gase is going to reap the benefits unless he's just as awful.
0: I like how he hides his eyes from the cameras now. He pulls the (laughs) hat down low. He doesn't want to see his eyes on the back page of the New York Post anymore, so let's go ahead and hide that stuff. All right, Labor Talks, John. There is talk that they're going well. Then the union, it leaks out that they told players to save a year. salary, Which, by which the way. Which they
1: do every time there's yeah. a negotiation It coming.
0: sounded so familiar to me. It goes back to 1982 when they had that nine-game season. I
1: covered it. There's one in 77. So here's the deal about the 18-game schedule. How can you play an 18-game schedule when you're worried about player health?
0: And Well, what if you drop some preseason? Well, so or what? what?
1: They don't play in the preseason. <laughs> Uh, they go from not for having a cup of coffee in the preseason to playing an entire game. That's not a good – now, if you give them enough money, players play 20 games with ideas to put more money in the owner's bank account, not the players'. Well, bank. you
0: could do both. Hang on a second, though. Just hypothetically, let's say, yeah, you're making more money as owners, but you're making more money as players because you're going to get 55% or so of the gross and – you could expand the rosters. And you have to if you're going to play games. You would have games. to
1: expand the rosters. Quarterbacks are bad enough now when the starters get hurt. I think that uh, you would have to have more uh, scrimmages, joint practices. You would have to have – coaches would have to have more control over the players in the offseason. Players couldn't have all this time off. You couldn't have no pads. So I think it would become more physical. What I think is, okay okay boys we want you to play 18 games oh no we don't want to do that we want to smoke marijuana for medicinal purposes oh boy you got us over a barrel and okay after a lot of consternation and hand-wringing we won't do the 18 games and we'll let you smoke pot for purely medicinal purposes yeah every player
0: on the roster getting a prescription no, i'm just kidding. but here's what we want
1: <laughs> yeah and it's a lot of money they give up and they'll get it and the owners will laugh all the way to the bank.
0: But you don't think 18 games really happens? No.
1: I just don't – it's 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 um, when you're so worried about injuries, why would yeah. you expose them to injuries more? There's talk about if they went to 18 games, giving players two games a year off. So do, oh. give it to them first game off, have a second bye week. They got to sit. So then you're going to be playing into the, in the March. Oh, that kind of thing. And a player's not going to like to sit. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Aaron Wilson and I were doing a podcast today, and he said start the season in August. And I said they will not play again on Labor Day. Why is that? Because the TV ratings were awful. They used to start on Labor Day, and no matter what happened, they started behind on the ratings. Oh, NFL ratings are down. They were this. And then it'd take them weeks to catch up. And they realized, because Labor Day is a holiday, that's probably the only day of the year people want, the only weekend people don't want to watch the NFL.
0: Isn't that interesting?
1: So, and and so what if you played into late February? Who cares? It's winter. Football's a winter sport.
0: It is now. You're playing these AFC and NFC championship games in very cold conditions. Okay, let me ask you this. What
1: comes first, 18-game schedule or expansion to London?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. I saw one scenario that had an NFL team housed in London, but you'd come here and practice for a while, maybe two, three weeks, play a few games here, then go back over there. If you think about it, you have to stage eight games in London. That would be great for the London fans. Eight teams going over there to play. Mm, That's tough. I don't know. I think it's a really tough deal. I think that that is less likely than 18 games. And as I say that, I want to say London is more likely. It's tough either way. We'll see how it goes. John, what do you have going on in the Chronicle?
1: Aaron Wilson and I have a uh, our weekly podcast. We've got several stories each. I'm writing Sunday about Jonathan Joseph and his influence on all the new players, not mm-hmm. just the rookies but the vets in the rebuilt secondary. And uh, I'm writing about... Kahali, Kalani, whatever else his (laughs) first name is, wearing for Monday, and then we'll be back here Tuesday with uh, the last OTA that the media is able to watch.
0: John, thanks a lot for
1: joining us. Thank you very much, Mark.
0: That's the general, John McClain. Tomorrow night, we'll be back on John Harris. And I usher you into the weekend. And don't forget about Texans 360, Saturday night, 11 o'clock on ABC 13 with Sean Pendergast, guesting with Drew Doherty. Go to HoustonTexans.com for videos, articles, photos, everything about your favorite football team. Have a great night, and go Texans!